0: Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR Podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR Conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps Podcast.
1: JD here with a little editor's note. With these COVID times and the pressures on the internet, uh, we did uh, lose a little bit of our connection with Paul and Jasper. So I do apologize uh, if the audio is a little rough in a few areas. Welcome uh, to the Mac
0: DevOps podcast. Today, I am joined by my wonderful, strong,
1: extremely handy co-host, JD. How's it going, JD? Good, and I appreciate the pun there,
0: Oh, did I make a pun and not know? Gee. I mean, (laughs) today we have two wonderful guests from the Netherlands, a land far, far away and very flat. In French, we call it Les Pays Bas. Paul and Jasper. (laughs) How's it going, Paul?
2: I'm fine. How are you? Jasper? I'm fine as well. How are you?
0: How's your laptop
2: doing? I hear it uh,
0: revving up for a Formula One race. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's glowing uh, quite hard. Pretty hot. <laughs>
0: uh, is degrees, this one of the brand so... new brand new awesome super hot MacBook Airs or what is this? Uh, 2015
2: one. No? Two thousand fifteen. Yeah.
0: That's before the pandemic. <laughs>
2: yes. I mean, remember, I remember those much. days.
0: I don't remember much from before those days. Yes, we're officially talking about the pandemic on the Mac DevOps podcast. Why are we doing this? Because the pandemic is everywhere. But (laughs) it has helped to solidify a lot of our software and workflows where some of us were working from home before and doing remote workflows. Um, Now everyone is working from home and doing remote workflows. Yeah. So... This is the, the exact reason I wanted to bring uh, Paul and Jasper here from uh, Hedge, Hedge Software in the Netherlands. Um, yes. <laughs> how has life changed for remote software working uh, now in the pandemic, Paul? As a software development team, you've been working at home, I guess, at least partially, and working from the office. You had sort of a split. Why don't you tell us how that was before and how that's changed?
3: Well, actually with us, the 90% of the team was, uh, in one office in the Netherlands and people worked at home sometimes during the week for a day or maybe a few. And we had some remote employees, but most of the work was done in the central office actually. And then, uh, overnight, uh, the office was no more and, um. We, when we started out with Hatch as a wee startup, we always said we need to be ready to work remote in case we don't have money to pay for an office. Um, and we always stick around to that, uh, to the mantra. And that uh, I think that sort of saved us because that switch to everybody working from home was quite easy. I think we did, uh, Thomas, our COO did two runs with gear, picking up gear from the office and distributed it uh, to everyone's homes, making sure everybody had uh, enough displays and mice and keyboards. But apart from that, it went pretty well, actually. So because everybody
0: was taking, everyone was taking turns going in the office, or at least a couple days a week, or once a week. Or I know Jasper, you are saying you're taking the train in sometimes, or
2: yeah, usually like three days in a week we would go to the Hague, where our office is located, and uh, one day at home. Anyway, so, but then suddenly overnight, as Paul mentioned, we were all at home the time every day. So, uh, I think it went really smooth. I think we were one of the few companies that were sort of prepared. Or um, mm. yeah, we hardly noticed it. We just went along, and I think we're also a bit productive, a bit more productive now as well. Mm. We miss the social interaction. Yeah.
0: I mean, the Netherlands got good transit, and they have intercity trains, and they're very good for that. You weren't driving into the office,
3: probably. Um, yeah. uh, there always has been a company rule that if, if, you, uh, if you can take public transport, then that counts as working hours. So we always try to avoid cars anyway.
0: In a country where it's more densely populated, you have to be a little bit more advanced. Uh, you know, in, in North America, I'm sure most people would drive into the office if they could, because... Maybe transit's not as good in certain cities and they're just used to driving and maybe there's lots of parking. But if there's no parking and the transit or intercity trains work, then that's nice. But it still takes time if you gotta take an hour on a train or two hours or, um, and now you're at home. You don't have to uh, pack your lunch and go to the train station. And how is working from home, uh, Paul?
3: I actually really like it, but uh, I must say I moved house exactly a year ago because I wanted a home office and now that I need a home office, I'm very happy with it. I got fiber. Finally, I got a good new iMac. So I got this really nice working place. Um, but that's me and that I'm just lucky with that. And it's, I think that not everybody that's working from home is this lucky or is still working in an attic that's way too hot in the summer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't have, uh, AC over here in the Netherlands. Not by standard, at least. So, uh, not everybody has such a good working environment that I have, I think. But most most of the team is in quite a good spot for us, so that
0: really helps. Nice. And are you surrounded by as many kids as Jasper is, or?
3: <laughs> yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> that was actually quite tough when the when the schools were yeah. closed. That was quite a tough period.
0: Were you? Uh, did they have remote school or?
3: Yeah, sort of.
0: Sort of. Depends (laughs) on the the age of the child. I know my youngest had one half an hour Zoom maybe once or twice a week, while my older child had three or four classes a day and was very, very busy. So it depends on the age.
3: Yeah.
0: And having children around all the time is lovely. That's why we love to work at home, because we love (laughs) our children. But sometimes (laughs) we need to spend a little bit of time with our work boring or adventurous awesome work, but yes, it does take a little bit of concentration. But um, I wanted to talk about how, uh, before we talk about what Hedge is, since you're a software company, you're making software, uh, you're obviously aware of the different ways that people can work together on software, which is some of the themes that we've talked about with Mac DevOps, with trying to get IT or ops people to try and develop some of the attitudes and use some of the tools of developers, which is version control and all these other good things. So being software developers, um, Jasper, I'll throw the question at you first. Since you joined the team and you were working on a product that you'd started, how was it working with them and using all these tools to work together with this team? And how has that changed with the pandemic? Like I said,
2: I, I was working at home one at least once a week during the pandemic we just went along we had a stand up every day but then uh, using Jitsi or Slack or whatever uh, we we tried a couple and um, uh, yeah in some ways like like I said we were far more productive than usual I guess because we can focus a lot more and um yeah. That, that, I'm pretty positive as well. Like right? uh, Paul. I I could to this. Uh,
3: yes. Oh, we did it's run too into too some in snags.
0: What kind of snags did you run into, Paul? We
3: at the, at the same time that the lockdown came, we uh, started growing again as, the, as a company. So last year we were with six. And then uh, when Jasper joined, we built a team around him and we expanded that team with back-end, and front-end engineers uh, this spring during the lockdown. So we actually added four people, which sort of need to, we, we, well, we added two people that came to the office for one day on the day of the lockdown and the day after they were hired. <laughs> so um that was we we apart from the tool set which we have pretty much working anyway for remote work we needed to get our stand-ups uh, suddenly into plus 10 territory 15 people and then most services sort of start to crack and then a lot of stand-up bots don't work anymore and uh we 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 used Slack previously, that didn't work. Then we started using Whereby, that was amazing, very well. Until you're beyond 12, then that uh, stops working as well. And in the end, we fired up our own Jitsi server for it. And that's been working very well since, and that's really scalable. Um, but, it, but from that moment on, the stand-ups were the only sort of face-to-face, face-to-face meetings, if you will. Um, so we devised something we call a stand down, which is at the end of the day, which is a free form coffee, like what you're working on, is anything I can help you with. It's free form chats, nothing solid. That has helped really well. And our biggest issue was that we love whiteboards. We have, I think 20 meters of whiteboards in the office, filled to the brim with product development and product design. And uh, we, uh, the day of the lockdown we were so fortunate to just take photographs of everything and we <laughs> used a tool I can't t- completely remember what tool it was but we found a tool that could uh, do te- uh, text recognition of handwriting on those whiteboards and turn them into uh, Miro and Miro has been our savior for this pandemic lockdown working from home situation Miro is it's an endless whiteboard and yeah, it's amazing. It's, <laughs> everybody should use it. It's great to work out ideas. It's uh, You can do it simultaneously. And we now, nowadays, we do all product developments in it.
0: Oh, you'll have to uh, give us some links, and we'll put them in the show notes uh, so that everybody can see, well, those cool tools like Jitsi and um, Miro, is it? M-I-R-O? Yeah, or...
3: Miro. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So yeah, for version control, we use Bitbucket. We have GitLab, uh, GitHub. It's all Git. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Slack, Teams, doesn't really matter either. But in hindsight, if we didn't have Miro, then everything would have gone a lot slower. Like to visualize with your
0: whiteboards and draw things out, especially if you're dealing with a user interface or we're using it for code as well. Or just like how, what were you visualizing? Mostly
3: architecture, actually. Not even interfaces. Nice. Yeah, so it's mostly visualizing uh, architecture and not, not writing code or anything, but just making sure we have working flowcharts and then the interfaces all now live in Figma.
0: So that has changed as well. Well, workflow uh, is certainly important and it's important to visualize it. And um, with the products that Hedge is uh, making, Hedge itself, the card copy tool and PostLab, the uh, project file sharing I've been working with my clients, which are video editors, to work on the whole workflow from card copying to editing, and uh, your tools are are greatly implicated, but every time you deal with workflow, every time you deal with a pipeline, and you want people to change how they're working, you have to test, and you have to map it out, and you have to make it easy, and um, so yeah, I've been doing a lot of that, and of course, published a blog post to try and write down my thoughts to share with others. Cause whenever you think you sort of figure something out it's nice to write it down but it's also nice to share with others to see if anybody else can can uh, benefit or have comments or criticisms or just other ideas and of course the a couple days after i published it apple released a new version of final cut and you know it was, didn't destroy everything i did but it certainly made you go "Hmm, is there another way to do things so workflow is always changing uh in ways of doing things and you have to be open um and certainly we we tested with a lot of different apps um but, uh, yeah, I find blogging helps when you write down steps and try to explain to people. Certainly with editors, like other people, you have to try to make things as easy as possible. <laughs> and hence, a lot of feature requests and, and uh, dialogue with uh, software, software developers such as yourself and going, hey, I'm trying to do this. What do you think? Is there a better way? <laughs> And I know everybody was like, including our good friend Felipe, was like, just wait a couple of days, Matt. That's really nice what you published, but everything you do <laughs> might change again after, uh, you know, you see yeah. something. You kept saying, I'm, I'm making a new video. You'll see. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's good yeah. to test uh, with beta software, but then you can't tell talk to too many people about it until it's not beta anymore. <laughs> I've definitely
1: appreciated
0: uh, your help.
1: Paul, sorry, the audio had dropped there for just a minute. You were mentioning another benefit of working from home. I was saying one of the benefits of working from home is that now I get
3: to make smoothie breakfasts like uh, smoothie and broccoli smoothie, and uh, that's really nice. actually, much better than my regular breakfast.
0: Well, it's nice that you're able to find a place that you can also have a home office too, right? I, I assume. It's difficult to have multi bedroom places or larger places, or are they common? yeah, or yeah just it's more doable.
3: Expensive? It's just, well, or I have less kids. <laughs> yeah. most, most houses have are built give... for having two kids or three kids, and not yeah. four or five. You, you didn't that have helps. to
0: give away any kids,
3: did you? Not yet. Not yet. I might in the future. Depends on how much larger, how much more gear I'm going to stash here. That was an issue actually with working from home. If you're a software company, it's pretty cool that uh, everything lives online, but the actual testing of copying software doesn't happen online. So uh, I got a a gazillion hard drives over here and RAID drives and LTO decks and five Mac Minis because I'm the one with the fastest internet. So everybody's remoting into my stack of Mac Minis all the time. So there's a sort of Mac. And you're using the Mac Minis to test? Yeah, there's a sort of Mac furnace. Next to me, they're all running hot, and uh, so you still need a lot of physical gear, even if you're a rom- remote company. And that does pose yeah. some issues sometimes.
0: I've been finding that too. I uh, I just set up an XAN in my home office. I'm testing Accusys uh, Thunderbolt sharing storage. Um, I've tested the Thunderbolt 2 version, and this is the new Thunderbolt 3 version. I mean, it's not. It's been out for a couple of years, but uh, yeah, it's literally like a 12. 12- <laughs> There's a 16-drive rack mount, but I didn't want to put that in my home office. But I have the 12-drive desktop unit. Plug it into a Mac Mini, and boom, you have an instant shareable uh, Thunderbolt storage XN. It's basically XN. Um, so if you have a small office or a small group of people, it's really easy to connect up storage and have shareable fiber channel storage through Thunderbolt, which is amazing. But I've collected a gear lots of gear. I've got Synology NAS, Mac Mini, <laughs> RAIDs, lots of hard drives especially with like video teams, like getting material from the field, sometimes doing the copying at home and then bringing it to the office and then using Hedge to copy it to the XN and then goes to LTO tape. And it's multi-step procedure now (laughs) and lots of gear is needed for testing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Hedge, the software company, or um, tell us about your company a little bit.
3: Well, um, where should I start? At the beginning?
0: Yeah, you're be, a lonely yeah. audio engineer. You're on the beach yeah. and you're partying, and then you had this grand thought.
3: <laughs> well, it wasn't like that. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> uh, well, the sound engineer part were, is qu- quite right. Um, What's your origin? Story? Actually, the founding well, the founding team are all sound engineers, and I was working uh, together with Thomas on um, on a TV production. That was so heavy on sound that they decided not to do it with broadcast sound but with live sound techniques so they brought us in because we had we had 60 wireless channels and uh, needed to be mixed live, and uh, it was just too heavy to do it with a truck um and then we had it pretty much all working and then there was this guy running along frantically with stuff in his hands, and we didn't know what it was. And it turned out to be uh, cards for 5Ds because the show was being shot on 15 uh, Canon 5Ds um, because they uh, wanted small format cameras, non-broadcast, with large lenses. And um, But they those shoot days were 12 hours long, so there was a lot of cards that needed to be uh, wrangled. And it was just uh, a camera assistant that was doing this. So, uh, the guy didn't know how to handle it properly. And so we started out helping him with a little Apple script to do this, and then uh, with a little script to do that. So yeah, there was so they said, basically, uh, you guys now do it the next season. And uh, well, sound engineers are lazy by nature, like all good engineers are. So we decided to automate it a bit more, and a bit more, and a bit more, and then a bit more. And that turned out into a uh, automated 5D uh, offload solution. With verification and our own uh, DNX HD transcoder based on BMX from the BMC, with timecode sync uh, into Avid overnight because they needed starting needed to start editing overnight. 15 cameras, and uh, we were pretty proud of that actually <laughs> that we were able to wrangle so much data and transcode it and sync it and push it into Avid that we tried to. Uh, basically sell it as a service, but the Netherlands are tiny. So yeah, we were pretty proud of that uh, beautiful thousand-line AppleScript solution that we knew it's we couldn't sell lines, as software. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that must sound familiar to Jasper because I think he once built an app that was a thousand-line AppleScript as well. Oh, I'm sure he And uh, to... <laughs> so uh, we decided to, to turn it into a service because we were freelancers, so we liked services, um, but there were exactly zero productions in the Netherlands that needed it. So there was not a lot of uh, work there. And then we said, well, let's try to build it into a product, but Let, let's not waste the, the efforts. And I found some investors actually pretty easily. And um, we said, we still want to do the, the from camera to editor as fast as possible. Spiel, let's start at the beginning with the offloading. And uh, that became Hedge actually so hatch specializes in simultaneous offloading of sources into multiple backups because at the time people were still copying one card at a time to one hard drive and then copying from that hard drive to another and then to another like a cascading copy and we thought that was a bit silly so uh, we decided to build hatch and specialize in multi multi multi-cam offloads into multiple backups at the same time And that uh, got out of hand a bit. So then we uh, got into LTL backups. Yeah, well, (laughs) grew a bit larger than the two guys that we originally uh, envisioned. Uh, Yeah, yeah, a lot of people had this uh, issue, apparently. So Hatch got pretty popular, and um, then we branched out into other parts of uh, backing up and archiving. And then uh, a few years in, we ran into this uh, Dutch guy, that was building a uh, collaborative uh, versioning control for uh, NLEs, which we actually described in our pitch deck, original pitch deck for Hatch as that's our next step. Um, so one-on-one came together, and we decided to scoop up uh, PostLab uh, together with its uh, inventor Jasper and uh, to make that idea to go from camera to editor as fast as possible a reality that's five years in a nutshell.
0: Yeah. I mean post-lab using git version control for Final Cut and now Premiere and maybe other NLEs in the future being able to work together in version control and, and that's coming really in handy even recently with this Final Cut change 1049. Uh, I was telling all the editors when you finish with your 1048 project check it back in and Unlike the Time Machine or Final Cut backups, you can comment. So you, I say, make a comment. This is the version of this project using Final Cut 10.4.8. Now, that leads me to a feature request I have to send in saying, we need to record this information automatically somewhere else. But in the, in the, in the, in the <laughs> current times, it's it's basically make a comment. And so when they open the product after they updated Final Cut to 10.4.9, it changes the library. It updates the library. And so I tell them to, when you make a comment, when you check the product back in, this is now with 10.4.9. And so uh, as we discovered, uh, we actually did have an issue with 10.4.9. There's some really weird color issues with the Canon camera. And so um, there's ways around it um, until we hear back from our official Apple rep. I'm just kidding. We don't have an official Apple rep. Until we hear back from support. I mean, sorry. (laughs) They're never going to respond to that feedback. Um, But in the meantime, while we wait for Apple to get back to us, I mean, sorry. While we... how workaround is. It was nice to tell the tell the editors, well it's easy to revert back because I keep copies of every version of Final Cut. But in post lab, because each project was checked in multiple times every time they work on it and it was checked in saying this is the version at 1048, they could go back to 1048 and open it in the older version of Final Cut to get around the issue, which is important. For whether it's you know a new version of Final Cut does something differently and your color is weird, or maybe you did something different to your project and you need to go back, so leaving comments like people we've told people for years uh, in Mac DevOps trying to get them to learn how to use Git and you know GitHub, GitLab, and all these other version controls is the comments that you leave help people <laughs> revert back if they need to, or to know what you're checking in with your code which is yeah. um, like what they tell uh, you know, developers, you check in little tiny things that when you, can re- when you revert, you can revert back from any one of those little tiny changes. And that applies to Final Cut. If you've worked on a Final Cut product for 10 days and then you lose everything or something goes wrong, you lose 10 days of work. But if you checked it in every day or a couple of times a day and you write comments about what you're doing, which some people will, then it's easy to revert back. So PostLab has really helped us to work around this potentially terrible color bug, but it also can work around, you know, if you make a mistake or you hand off the product to someone and they make a change you don't want, you can go back to a new version. So PostLabs definitely been helpful in getting editors to use version control without having to think about it, which is the goal. (laughs) You don't have to tell them they're using Git or version control. You just tell them to write comments.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, thank you, Esper. Yeah. You're
0: welcome. (laughs) <laughs> this is a great idea you had, this post lab.
2: Yeah.
3: Wasn't yeah. it actually Dan's idea as well, Jasper?
2: Well, because
3: um, here's a funny story, man.
2: When I started having that, was it my idea? No. Well, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my Jasper idea. was my idea. Had
3: this, uh, Jasper was working with the system integrator from Utrecht. Um, who used to be a roommate of mine and uh, he used to be uh, in the same uh, sailing uh, division as thomas the other co-founder of hedge so when all things came around this was sort of a one big circle of nerds (laughs) having the same idea (laughs) about how to
2: do this Like, oh,
3: you know him, you know him, him," and we were working on the same thing, and
0: then... And when I realized (laughs) that the creator of this weird thing called PostLab had created all these scripts, and I'd talked to him on the XN community for years, and that we were in the same sort of uh, IT, uh, you know, XN storage, you know, community, and um, that we were all connected, you know, even though we're all geographically far away, that was... You were the only one downloading my
2: scripts then for the XN. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I do remember talking to you about PostLab, and then I started talking to you about this the CV copies script where you combine CV copy and Arsync, and then you're like, "Yeah, I know that script. I wrote that." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, well, that's embarrassing for me." <laughs> <laughs>
2: I was so happy because finally somebody used it.
0: <laughs> oh man, I was using that for years because I depended, my life depended on Arsync and all these Arsync scripts that I used to write, but. CV copy with XN and StoreNex is so much faster. So I didn't know what to do. And then, you know, there's this stranger to me living far, far away that thought of really combining CV copy and uh, rsync. Uh, I just thought that was genius. And yeah, I had to wait for years to uh, give you that hug. But uh, when you came to Mac <laughs> DevOps, did.
2: when you came to
0: <laughs> Mac DevOps last year, that was awesome. So you could talk, talk to us about this story of um, yeah. open sourcing Post Lab and uh, the adventures you had with that. And then, eventually how you um, found a home with hedge and how open sourcing your project uh, was not as successful as you hoped where <laughs> well, everybody loved the project but they didn't exactly want to contribute code to it yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is the story of some open source projects right just yeah know, everybody sure. sees oh yeah i see that problem but yeah maybe i'm not a coder or maybe i don't want to contribute one more line to that apple script tower of babel <laughs> <laughs> And we were,
3: when so, we decided to uh, to close source it again, we were actually wondering if, if people were going to complain because it's not the most popular move you can make to close source something that's op- that has been open source. But we only got good reception on it. People really understood it. And they said, yeah, sure, because this means now there will be contribution, at least.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah I, I think it gives Jasper a team and a company and, I mean... Jasper was, you know, thinking about, well, is he gonna stop working on this project if, if no one's gonna pay him to work on it? So that's a problem. If you're the only one contributing code and so having a paid job in a place that will pay you to work on a project and a team that helps you and backs you up and helps you with different parts, you know, of the the project, whether it's actual coding or front end, back end, or making it into a product, you know, having managers yeah. and product designers and a team. I mean we all yeah. eventually go insane if we don't talk to someone. So,
2: yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm glad that uh, Jasper uh, found Hedge uh, and that you guys were able to work together.
2: Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah sure. I, mean, we, we, I knew pretty. I, I did. I uh, did some other open source project projects along the way, and some were reasonably successful, at, at least. But I had a day job and I had. And during the night, I had to do all this support stuff. And you're not going to do that for a long time. You just think I want my life back. And uh, I knew with Post lab that that I was it was going to be the same thing. So I wanted to... Uh, this was the ideal situation. Yeah, so, it, uh, it to get help. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Because you were seeing there was a lot of... Um, wonder, surprise, and excitement on the ha- behalf of editors and um, a little bit less on the code contributing, so it didn't make sense to keep it open source. But, I mean, we're big fans of open source, yeah. but we're also fans of good teams and teams that work well together, and paid products are totally yeah. perfect, in our opinion, because you get support, you get help, you get
2: yeah.
0: developers that are getting paid to,
2: to create cool things. So Yeah. And also, it had to be open source because uh, the company I worked for it was uh, uh, funded by the government. It was
0: nonprofit, or
2: yeah, nonprofit indeed. And uh, uh, so everything that we make is, per definition, uh, part of the community. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine how many questions you would have or how much you'd have to support. I mean, even sometimes when I read a blog post describing something I've done, I get responses with, well, we, we want to hire you to do this or we want you to do this. I'm like, no, no. I do my uh-huh. own. I wrote it down. You can follow the instructions or not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: It's it's totally yeah. out in the uh, you know, open as uh, people can do what they want. But Yeah. I mean, yeah. I probably spend too much time on the Mac admin Slack helping people... Um, and sometimes you have to dial it back and realize that you have a family and people that want your help in real life too. So you have to balance the, uh, the amazing community that we have, uh, and the yeah. help that people give to others with also, you know, family
2: life. And yeah. Yeah. Well, the help between like, if I would help you out, we, we sort of already speak the same language because we are in the same field and, and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, but helping people out that are really new to everything that's and uh, you, you you keep repeating yourself almost right. that's yeah. the, the the energy drain
0: terminals and utilities folder okay now go into the <laughs> yeah. okay command spacebar open the app yeah and
2: yeah that's everything yeah well literally We're not all starting from video this, yeah. isaac
3: made a video this week explaining how to install PostLab, which yeah. is which is mind-blowing to the people I work with and to you guys, like, what is a DMG? But there are quite a lot of editors yeah. that don't know how to do that, so sure. let's. I, it, it would be better if those skills uncommon. are actually in editing than understanding what a DMG is. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I
0: mean, it's definitely not uncommon for a lot of Windows people who moved over to Mac and I'd see DMG's, you know, disk images littered on the desktop. They'd be mounted and the app would
1: just run, you know. they There was no such thing as an installer or a lot of yeah. apps, but... They would yeah. just launch. They would launch it out of the damage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, n- never move it into applications. I mean, I, I, so I trained my edge to... with that. With Hedge
3: that we uh, yeah. actually in the end decided to before we did an installer. We, we, we said we're not going to do an installer just for an app bundle. That's silly. Like have people move the app, but then we built into Hedge that it needs to be run from the application folder because we're getting so much, so many yeah. permissions issues. But now we've moved on to an installer in the end. It's just inevitable. Yeah, I mean, you avoid that uh, issue um,
0: if you have an installer because you can put files in place. But I mean, I train all my editors not to install anything and then let me do it. And I use it with Monkey. And Monkey can take an installer or a DMG and we really hate our custom installers not using Apple's package format. If you have a custom installer that, you know, I've heard yeah. from different companies saying, well, we want our user license agreement to be shown on the screen, or we want the user to click on a button, or yeah. we want Java, blah, blah, blah. Or or, or packages that
2: uh, ignore the correct correct version of the uh, software package, like they oh. always have uh, version Zero. 0.0. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah you don't know how to set uh, the version in the info p list or anywhere so, yeah that that happens occasionally um' I'm cleaning yeah, up after bad software, but um thanks to uh the open uh, the auto package uh community and software and monkey, a lot of um recipes get created for apps and so I created some recipes for some of the hedge apps and so they can just download come into monkey and then just oh, get cool. updated. Um, usually you can follow a Sparkle URL or another update URL yeah. and there's different uh, processors. I've got to redo it for, I mean, occasionally developers such as yourself change the format of where the app update is. And so I think my hedge and post lab <laughs> recipes have been
3: broken, so I have to fix them. So um, <laughs> it's, it's better. It's quite uh, amazing what, uh, what what packages can do. It's, we uh, we recently launched catalogs for Caniston, our LTO mm-hmm. archival app. and catalogs do is basically create, recreate an index of a tape as stub files and mounts it as a virtual network drive and make it shareable on the internal network, actually. And future-wise, that was super easy to build and lightweight and wasn't too much R&D. And then we spent, well, over a month on creating the installer, making it backwards compatible up to 1011. And the, the actual code that sits within the post and pre-install scripts is I think 10 times as large as the actual code for the feature just to make sure that we could (laughs) we need a we need a bindfs which you cannot compile uh, for someone you need to do it in place so you need make but for make you need command line tools Uh, if someone has homebrew installed that's changing then you need auto (laughs) package so there was this whole range of dependencies that changed with every os that The thing became a monster to build, while the actual feature is lightweight. Yeah, trying to build an installer to support a huge range of OSs.
0: I mean, Apple guarantees security on the latest, maybe the latest n-1, maybe sometimes n-2. But uh, yeah, if people are running 10.11 and 10.12, and you have to make sure you're running a version of Xcode Mm -hmm. that can save a certain version of a package that's supported, and that's got to be an
3: issue. We always support up to four versions, but uh, with LTO, that just doesn't work. People are on all versions. The LTO upgrade cycles are even slower, I think, than Avid cycles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's <there's> something.
3: <laughs> yeah, editors
0: can be on very old versions of OSs, because if something works, they don't want to change it. But we have to balance stability with security and pay awesome IT consultants to make sure that they balance that uh, stability and security.
2: (laughs) Right, JD? Uh,
1: Yes, exactly, man.
2: (laughs) Pay us first. Pay and we'll fix your stuff. Yes, we'll fix (laughs) your stuff. We have a
1: a unique, deep level understanding of software and uh, yes, client happiness. At least I I know the damage you can cause with the damage. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Any uh, comments, Jasper?
0: Where, where? What's the future regarding regarding software development? Working from home? Are uh, we going to be here for years? Can you predict? Are you Are you happy at home, surrounded by your children? Yeah, I am. Um,
2: I think uh, what I hear a lot of friends say as well that a lot of people thought that they weren't productive at all, but a couple of months in, the people starting to adapt and uh they actually come to the conclusion hey this works as well not for everything but it isn't that bad as people used to think so i think it's uh some things like for example zoom meetings or uh, uh, video conference calls i think that will stay i even noticed that with my own uh, uh well at church i had a uh, a meeting and, and people wanted to meet up in person. I said, ah, oh, it's such a small thing. Let's just do a video conference call. It saves me traveling. And everybody agreed because uh, why not? So mm-hmm. people are all used to that now. And um, even with support, I noticed that. That's <laughs> pretty easy when you have a support call. Like, uh, do you have Zoom? Yeah, sure. Okay, let's uh, hop on a call. So, uh, companies that were
0: never remote companies, always in the office, companies have had to rethink, and we hope that they'll be more flexible in the future. I know yeah. and lots of other companies with huge, beautiful campuses yeah. and buildings have suddenly
2: yeah. had to change the way they work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and part of me, like uh, GitLab, uh, of course, it is all uh, everybody is at home. Anyway, they don't have any office building, and uh, part of me finds it fascinating how they do that. They have a large, big manual as well, and um, um, it's you can you can even read that online. Like, oh, they have all these rules and how they, how to collaborate with each other while everybody's at home. But then they also have a, a yearly get together in South Africa, for example, and they fly everybody over. So. That would yeah, be nice as well. <laughs> it's amazing how people—it's
0: amazing how people can work across time zones. I mean, even with the the Monkey Report project, the main uh, developer yeah. Arian is in the Netherlands, and we uh, had a, some major code uh, work d- happening in Australia, and so we're trying to do a meeting. Yeah. That was Australia, Netherlands, North America—you <laughs> know, it's at like, the same time. Yeah, it was seven or eight in the morning for me. It was pleasant evening for Aryan and then uh, our poor friend Mosin in australia was like one or two in the morning so he's trying to stay awake you know? <laughs> <laughs> so
2: yeah time zones that's uh that's the thing yeah
0: yeah I mean some Australians joined us for the Mac DevOps online conference, which was pretty tough, but they were inspired because they knew that the wWC was the week after so they're like, we we'll have to do it again next week anyway. we're staying up all night. we're doing it
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a lot of energy <laughs> to try and stay awake <laughs> How are you uh, working out from home because you you usually going to customers right?
0: yeah, yeah um, I mean, even when I could I mean, my day job being storage setup, backup setups, working with video editors usually. Um, Yeah, I mean, the number one is being on site with their equipment, um, certainly for the initial setup. But I mean, even when I could do almost everything remotely and I would usually do it after the kids went to bed, you know, I'd go on my normal day. It used to be just going on site, visit, say hi, and then Mm -hmm. go away and get the kids, you know, and do the kid stuff. And then at night, check on backups, make sure all the servers are updated or whatever they need to do. But yeah. I'd sometimes just force myself to go visit them you know, in the pre-COVID days because I learned as an independent consultant that if people didn't see you and you were doing all the work remotely, they would stop paying you or would want to stop paying you because they're like, what are you doing? You're doing nothing because we never see you, which is <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. sometimes you'd go there on site and pretend, have yeah. your keyboard, not pretend, but you would just like, oh, I'm doing all this amazing stuff, but maybe it was everything you did last night or maybe it's all the things you're doing the, the, during the night yeah. and they're not around but you're... You're shaking yeah. hands, or just hanging out, or I found with my current clients, sometimes just hanging out for a little bit, you could just see what they're trying to do, whether it's yeah. log in, check their email, ingest video. You know, you would see the problems as you're like an embedded IT person. You just hang out and see what they're yeah. trying to do, because <laughs> sometimes you know you're like, oh, I want to update yeah. the server, or I want to test this new version of Monkey, or I want to test PostLab, or you'd have your own list. Yeah. But then as yeah. embedded, sort of, the users are doing stuff, you'd like they would have issues, and if you're around yeah and they would be more apt to ask me questions than if they i told them to use a ticket system they would be like no or (laughs) why like just i heard the other day about a ticket system the user's like why would i put something in a ticket system when i know what the results already going to be i'm going to be ignored and i'm never going to get handled you know it's not going to get resolved so sometimes (laughs) they need the face-to-face whether it's a zoom now yeah I hate getting a lot of texts from people with a problem. I'd rather just be able to have a synchronous meeting, whether it's video or in-person and go, let me see you try that and we'll work on it together. we work on it together and let me see what you're trying. Maybe you're doing, sometimes even yourself, you could get stuck trying to solve a problem the same way. I know I do. I've tried it 12 times this way and it still doesn't work. Maybe I need another human to (laughs) tell me why doing it the same way 12 times is not working. (laughs) And that's why we need to have our team or friends, colleagues, you know, other people. You know, Felipe has been very helpful because sometimes when you're embedded, you lose sight. (laughs) So you have to call another friend or I'd be like, hey, JD, I'm trying to do something. I need your, you know, input, you know, because you're an extra pair of eyes that's not, you know, been stuck trying to do the same thing
2: 12 times. But you said that uh, you used to go there and make sure that people knew that you were doing stuff as well, whether it was at night. Do you feel that now with... uh, the whole COVID situation, people uh, find it more obvious that you're working or? No, I st- still still like, right, nope, goodbye. It? it's like, oh. you are not here. Why should
0: we pay you? Okay. So some people are like that and other people are like, oh, you know, you can just help us. We're not going to pay you because you're not showing up on site. You're not actually doing real work. I'm like, you mean oh. me figuring out how to do that thing for you <laughs> and make everything all work and then make sure that things are working? Like,
2: hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no oh person. wow! So that's and, and that uh, and that was still is is it still going on? Like they think that way, or some people?
0: I mean, it's also sometimes times are tougher for some people where contracts and clients that have yeah, lost sure. their clients or lost projects, or if people are trying to you know tighten up the belts and survive this hard time, it's not always easy. Yeah. Um, so. The remote person at work who's helping them fix things is not always, it's not a a tangible good sometimes in some ways. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) We spend enough time trying to figure out how to do things or coding or building apps for them or, you know, building workflow tools or, I mean, I'm always on Slack or studying or trying to figure out how things work or trying to learn new things to help clients. So that's a lot of time that you're spending.
2: Uh-huh. Or you know,
0: sometimes I'll stay up night uh, instead of watching TV. I'll just try and bl- uh, blog or document what we're doing, or oh, yeah. trying to write it all down. Which takes figuring it yeah. out stuff. It takes time, and then writing it all down takes time, and then especially with the time zones, yeah. if I'm trying to talk to y- you guys at Hedge, like, uh, or some of my friends at Arkaware in Germany or, or Arian in the monkey report, you want to send an email before the end of the night so that when people are waking up in Europe, they see your question yeah. and then when you wake up, yeah. first thing I do is check and see if I've gotten any emails from Jasper or, you know, my friends <laughs> at, in Germany or, you know, like, have the Europeans been working on our problems while we've been sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try to remember to send in like error reports or, uh, you know, uh, emails uh, before I go to bed, because <laughs> then you guys wake up and get all these emails that you've <laughs> been yeah. while you're sleeping.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I, I I find that something with working at home, you gotta over communicate stuff that you're doing. Mm. That uh, uh, so as to your customers, but it's 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 a, it's a good habit anyway. But now you really need to say, okay, I'm guys, I'm working on this one. Uh, picking this one up right now mm. um,
0: yeah you you work with the people that respect you and trust you and give you some leeway and have confidence in you uh throughout your life you'll also work with other people that maybe don't know you as well and maybe don't trust you as much, so that takes more negotiation but as yeah. i've gone through the years i've worked with you know more people that are you know that there's not a trust problem or a confidence problem and that Sweeps that away, and you can just get to work.
2: So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, true.
0: I, yeah. I'm lucky to work with some people that trust me and have confidence in me, and I can solve cool, interesting problems with the help of Hedge and you guys and all of my friends in the universe, uh, in the software universe. <laughs> and, you know. Helping people is what we do, and it's it, it's a it's a great feeling when you can help your clients, people that are yeah. trying to get a job done, whether it's make a movie or write software or whatever. And
2: yeah. yeah, so actually, with with the latest release of Final Cut and Post Lab, now with Drive and stuff included, we actually gave you a lot of extra work so you could <laughs> help in, implement that to your customers. Yeah, I yeah, know the <laughs>
0: Post Lab Drive uh, being, having a little. Super awesome turbocharged uh, cloud drive uh, for the editors has been super helpful, um, uh, and Postlab has just been super amazing. There was some um, pushback on it initially because anything with workflow, and I've spent years, you know, building asset management, media asset management systems, and that changes workflow, and people really sometimes hate that. Um, yeah. you know, Postlab, because it doesn't manage your media, it just manages your projects, is is a bit easier. But there still was some pushback. What do you mean I have to open this app and then open that app? Um, yeah. Um, but with the, everybody going remote, that sort of where is my project file? It's basically it's just everything's in Postlab now, and then and, and it's super easy to put stuff on Postlab yeah. Drive. And uh, the new bookmarks feature, where people can, uh, you can have a little, uh, you can even have someone upload stuff to your Postlab Drive, is super helpful and yeah, the editors find it very useful, and especially with this issue with Final Cut, and they're like, "Oh, is there an issue with the new version? Can we revert back?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's super easy yeah. in Lab to revert back." And um, yeah,
2: I mean, I think with uh, with the whole COVID situation, and um, obviously uh, the, uh, building drive and implementing that in in the app is it's an awesome feature, but with the whole COVID situation, we we also no yeah we knew that this is gonna help so many people can
1: we can we step back and and talk about what actually hedge is and what what you guys do? I will give you a summary. Hedge is what we talked about before. It's that uh multiple backups app
3: so multiple sources into multiple backups at the same time all verified and then some nifty features on top that make it really easy for uh media management for uh, media professionals so we look for duplicates there's an ios companion app that gives you status updates Uh, there's renaming in there there's filtering in there so depending on for instance if you're offloading a a red camera card you want to have the full card if you're offloading a sony card you might want to just have the clips and not the whole useless folder structure that sits on top of it so it's it's a backup app that specializes in media, if you will. And um, then PostLab is project management, I would say, for uh, NLEs, and right now just for Final Cut Pro and Premiere. It has version control, so you get versions of your uh, NLE projects. And on top of that, we build a whole bunch of features like tasks and status uh, updates. And we, last week we released, in tandem with the new Final Cut Pro release, we launched uh, a cloud storage for it, which is called PostLab Drive. And instead of regular cloud storage, which is file-based, PostLab Drive is a SAN in the cloud. So we put multiple SANs in the cloud uh, all over the world, and the one, uh, so you're close to it. And the initiator, to talk in XM uh, lingo, the initiator lives on your computer inside PostLab, you get the full index of your Cloud Drive. Um, and as soon as you start playing back any media reference on Drive in your NLE, it streams it in in blocks. So you don't need to download all the media and keep a local copy and need to relink stuff, because PostLab handles all that relinking for you. And we built some top stuff on top of that again. So on top of Drive, we learned a lot of people are having issues with Dropbox and Google Drive that If they want customers to send them data, they need to create accounts for them and need to pay for them as well. Or if they share data across accounts, then everybody gets billed for it while it's only stored in one place. So we decided to build on top of Drive a feature called Drive-Thru, which makes it super easy to have customers upload data into your Drive with just a link. It's kind of like WeTransfer, but then straight into a folder that you already designate. So if you have a graphics folder for, certain production dedicated you just send the link off to the graphics person and everything they put in there automatically lands in the right spot where you expect it so there's no media management to do anymore and that's the big thing that we launched last week and matt's been using it for six months already i think because matt's been one of the uh, beta customers for it so we had, we test driven it for six months with some larger customers and uh, one of Matt's customers used
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been awesome. It's been really helpful for defining workflows in these uh, remote distributed COVID times where everybody's remote. Um, really appreciate it, uh, yeah. the work you've put into the software to help teams.
1: So have you guys seen an uptick now with, with more distributed workforce and, and work from home uh, in, in adoption of, of Hedge? Yeah, well, not not as much with HATCH itself because HATCH is mostly used on
3: on set or on location and then back in the studio. And okay. Of course, there weren't any productions going on, um, but we do see them opening up again, so that's good. It's good to see that all those self-employed people, freelancers, are having jobs again. Um, but yeah, the, there was still a lot of work to be done in the pipeline for production for post-production. So we did see quite an uptick for post-lab and that's why we launched the uh, premiere support this spring like just before the lockdown when things were sort of already becoming clear that something was going to happen we uh, implemented premiere because so many editors are using premiere and uh, and as soon as we did that the requests started coming in from for it's cool that you can support these nle's but we still need to shuttle me- media we need to send drives out can we can't you guys come up with a solution for that so that's Sportkeeper okay. Drive.
1: Right?
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean my clients and are starting to do shoots, so basically they're using they're flying somewhere doing interviews and then they're using Hedge when they get back in the hotel to copy all the camera cards to drives, multiple drives, and then they'll shuttle the drives to the office when they get back there eventually or to me and I'll tr- copy them with Hedge to the Xn so it makes multiple copies to multiple places, multiple destinations for PostLab, we can make the proxies, which is like the tiny versions of the full, full-size full originals. We can make tiny versions, of the proxies, and put them in PostLab drive, and then connect it all up in Final Cut or Premiere, if you were using Premiere. And that's really been helpful, because then you can take the originals, which you have now multiple copies of, you can make tiny proxies, tiny versions, put them in the drive. So like one shoot, we had 600 gigs on this one shoot, and then it was like a 37 gig upload only to, pro- to the PostLab drive. So it was really nice that you can have that and then editors can work on these 4K versions, but they're only 30 gigs. Like, it was super nice. Like, if you have a slow connection or 30 gigs is faster than 600 gigs to upload no matter what your connection.
2: But also the main benefit over this, uh, over a Dropbox or Google Drive is that you don't need to download all those uh, 37 gigs before you can start editing. And uh, because you only... uh, Cache what you need. And right. um, I think that's uh, that's uh, the, the game changer here because you don't need to uh, send over uh, hard drives anymore. You don't need to wait before everything has been downloaded. Just start editing and uh, you only uh, fill up the your disk space what you need. Yeah, the
0: cache... Um, um... I mean, it's awesome that all the, and all these things like the post lab drive, post lab and the cache have been amazing, but every time you change your workflow, you have to help your users, your editors change their workflow too. And that's been like the education side, right? So, um, telling users that you only need to download what you, what you need. You don't need to grab all those files, download them all and then reconnect and then work. It's all, you know, just use what you need and also having to tell them tell the users make sure your cache is pointing to a really fast drive like an SSD or maybe your internal drive is really fast and then you can just work off your cache and just trying yeah. to explain to people that in, in you know these new workflows new ways um that's that's where you know that's been my job is trying to figure out a how things work and then b how to communicate them to the people i mean as well as testing yeah. them taking their feedback and then changing and improving workflows and you know finding out from from someone like a a, a team like yourself going, okay, what are the features? How do they work? You know, here's how the users are trying to use them. And yeah. it's, it's endless, right? You're always working. You're yeah, always working. <laughs> Paul, Jasper, how do we find you on the interwebs? Yeah. Our website is uh, hedge.video. hedge.
3: Video. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Add hedge for video for Twitter. We're pretty uh, active there as well. So if you have any questions, shoot us a DM. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you so
0: much for your time. We appreciate you spending a bit of time with us. It's always worthwhile. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Always love to have Yeah. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR The Conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor. Thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor, SimpleMDM, our silver sponsor, and Adagy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, We couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps Podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. If
0: I drank, I would be drinking right now.